Pam, as far as I'm concerned, you can sing that every Sunday. Matthew records three sermons preached by Jesus. The first was the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded in chapters 5 through 7. The second is the Sermon by the Sea that is recorded in chapter number 13. And the third is the Olivet Discourse that is recorded in chapters 24 and 25. We are going to begin a new series today looking at the Sermon by the Sea. This is one sermon, but it contains seven parables. We are going to look at each one of those parables, and the reason I believe this to be an important sermon is because it marks a change in the ministry of Jesus. First of all, there is a change of place as far as the place where he preached. Up until this time, primarily he had preached in the synagogues, but the doors of the synagogues had begun to close to Jesus. The people still welcomed him, but the rulers were becoming hostile to him. And so Jesus now moves his ministry from the synagogues to the fields and to the seashore. You see, when someone has a message, that person is going to preach the message, whether in the synagogue or somewhere else. When John Wesley could no longer preach in the churches, he went to the fields. When I was in England, I was speaking with the rector of the church where John Wesley had preached, and I asked him, what do you think John Wesley would do if he were to come back today? He said he would probably go back to the fields. Well, that's what Jesus did at this time. He is moving his ministry away from the synagogues and to the seashore and to the fields. And then his method of preaching also changed at this point. Because it is here that he begins for the first time to use parables in his teaching. One wrote, whatever else is true of Jesus, it is certainly true that he was one of the world's supreme masters of the short story. So it is here in the Sermon by the Sea that Jesus begins to use parables. Now, parables are a wonderful teaching tool because they illustrate a truth. Someone has said a, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So the parable is an effective tool in teaching because it illustrates a truth. William Barclay wrote, every great word must become flesh. Every great idea must take form and shape in a person. And the first great quality of a parable is that it makes truth into a picture which all men can see and understand. So a parable then is important because it teaches us what we do not know. Now the way it teaches us is to take something we do understand... And from that, it teaches us something we do not understand. A parable, a story, also makes the message more interesting. When Linda and I were on vacation this year, we had the opportunity to visit in my son Eric's church. And so I listened to him preach, and I was watching, and I began to notice that any time he told a story, the people were more attentive. 
Anytime he began to say something that was autobiographical or began to illustrate a point, the people paid a little more attention. Well, that's what a parable does. A parable illustrates a truth. It helps us to understand things we do not understand, and it makes the message more interesting to us. So it is here that Jesus began for the first time to use parables. So we start today with the parable of the seed. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Now, let's begin with the setting for this parable. In verse number 1, he says, On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Jesus, at this point, had left the synagogue in Capernaum. He walked a short distance to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, within a few hundred yards of this location is the place where he preached the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. In fact, it can be seen from this place. So Jesus then had gone to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. When he arrived there, there was a multitude of people that had gathered. Jesus then got into a boat that he might be able to address the crowd. And he began to share with them truths that he had never shared before. He began to share a message with them that was new in truth. Ray Steadman wrote, Jesus is unfolding truth that he had never revealed before. 
And he does so through the use of parables. And best we can tell by comparing the Gospels, this is the first time that Jesus ever spoke in parables. So then he has gathered with the people, gotten into the boat, and he begins to tell them a story. Well, the disciples asked him a question in verse number 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, apparently, as you think of the setting there, Jesus had told them the story about the farmer who went out to sow. Possibly there was a pause. The people didn't know how to respond. They were not used to him speaking in parables. They were not used to him telling stories. And so possibly it became awkward. There was this awkward time of silence, and the disciples said, Why are you talking in parables? Why are you teaching them in parables? And Jesus gave a principle that is used by God in the governance of human life in human history. Now, verse number 11, he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Well, the disciples must have felt pretty special. Jesus said, You have been granted to know something others don't know. They, they already thought they were special, and now Jesus has confirmed it. You know something that others do not know. He said, There is a mystery, a secret and he then gives the secret, the principle in verse number 12. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, I've already mentioned that this is one sermon, seven parables. This principle is necessary for the understanding of all seven parables. If we are going to be able to understand the seven parables Jesus under, that Jesus shared, then we have to understand this principle. One commentator wrote, What he is telling cannot be discovered by human intelligence through study of science, literature, or history. However, it is essential to the understanding of life and is revealed by God. So this is the principle then that Jesus teaches to those who have. More will be given. Now, we know that's true concerning stewardship. Because the Bible tells us that we give and it is given to us. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10 says, Bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I'll not pour out a blessing on you that you'll not be able to receive it and so forth. So we know that is true concerning stewardship. But here, he is applying it to truth. And this is what he is saying. To those who have truth and act on Truth, they will receive more truth. To those who have light and they act on the light they have, then they will receive more light. But then he goes on conversely and says, and those who do not act on what they have will what? They will lose it. If you act on the truth that you have, you will receive more truth. If you do not act on the truth that you have, then you lose it. Now, that's a principle of life. We know that is true, for instance, concerning the body. My, my father-in-law was a soldier in World War II, and he was shot in the spine. As a result of that, he was paralyzed. Uh, 
And because he could not use his legs, his legs atrophied. That also happens concerning truth. If we do not act on the truth that God gives to us, then it atrophies. If we do not act on the truth that God gives to us, then we lose it. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is precisely what is happening in our country today. Our country has been blessed with truth. Our country was founded on truth. It is in our documents. It is written on our buildings. Our country has been blessed with the truth of God, but because we have rejected it, because we have ignored it, because we did not act on it, then that truth is being taken away. And that's what you're seeing here. The principle is beginning in this story. The truth that has been given to these people is being taken away from them because they did not receive it. In verse number 14, and in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, and will not perceive. So what Jesus is saying, why am I using parables? Because he had begun to take the truth from them. They had received the truth, but they rejected it. And when they rejected it, Jesus began to take the truth away through the use of parables. Now, that is the setting and that is the principle of this story. Then we see the seed in verse number 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, we know in verse number 19 that the seed that is sown is the word of the kingdom. It is the gospel. And probably this parable was being acted out before them. Where Jesus was at this time is down at the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Sermon on the Mount, or the Mount is up here where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And there is a pasture area between. Probably there was a sower that had gone out and was sowing his seed. And Jesus directed the attention of the disciples to the sower. He said there was a sower who went out to sow. Now I want us to consider the seed that is being sown, the Word of God, the Gospel. It is a seed of great power, folks. The seed of the kingdom, the seed of the gospel, is a seed of incredible power. It has the power to bring God's forgiveness to us. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, For He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The seed of the gospel, it has the power to bring God's forgiveness to you. The seed of the gospel has the power to bring about a new birth. In John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Bible is saying that when you receive the seed of the gospel into your life, that you are born again, that you become a new person. We saw that in the life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And as the gospel seed is planted and received in a person's life, it has the power of new birth. The gospel seed has the power to cause you to become a witness of Almighty God. 
The Scripture says in Acts 1-8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Folks, I want you to notice something in that verse. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, it does not say you will consider being a witness. It does not say that you will take a course on how to become a witness. It says that you will be a witness. If the seed of the gospel is planted in your life and the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, the Bible says that you shall be witnesses. The seed is a powerful seed because it contains miracles. I know we don't see miracles in the church today. We, not in the American church today by and large, I, I know we refer to certain things as being miraculous, but we really don't believe they're miraculous. We believe they're perhaps extraordinary, but not miraculous. Let me tell you what I believe. I do not believe the reason we do not see miracles is because there are none in the gospel seed. I believe we do not see the miracles of God because we do not believe the gospel seed. And so it's been taken away from us. We see the seed of power. It's a seed of righteousness. This seed of the gospel produces righteousness within us, Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Folks, when the gospel seed is received into your life, the guilt of sin is removed. The Bible says the Lord removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. The guilt of sin is removed and we are given victory over sin. Romans 8:37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. I want you to understand the seed of which Jesus spoke is powerful. And it produces righteousness within the soil that receives it. The gospel seed. I'm not talking about the Baptist seed. The Baptist seed can produce some other things, but I'm talking about the seed that God plants, the seed of Jesus. It is powerful and produces righteousness. Then we see the soil. Four different types of soil are mentioned here. And may I say to you that those same four types of soil are present here. When the gospel seed is proclaimed then it falls on one of these four soils. William Barclay wrote, The fact of any spoken word depends on the hearer. As it has been said in jest, Prosperity lies not in the tongue of him who tells it, but in the ear of him who hears it. A jest will succeed when it is told to a man who has a sense of humor. You see, you can tell a joke or a funny story to someone who does not have a sense of humor, and they won't appreciate it. So it only comes to fruition if you are the right person. So there are four types of soil. First of all, the, feed, the seed fell beside the road in verse number 4. He says, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Now, he interprets that in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, in Palestine, 
When a field was planted, the people would walk around the field and a path would develop and the ground would become very hard. That is what he is addressing. Barclay wrote, in Palestine, the fields were in long, narrow strips and the ground between the strips was always a right-of-way. It was used as a common path, and therefore it was beaten as hard as a pavement by the feet of countless passers-by. That is what Jesus meant by the wayside. But now, let's apply the truth. He, that's the parable. We apply it to the heart. Sometimes the gospel is sown and the seed falls on hardened hearts. What causes our hearts to be hardened? Well, sometimes it's doubt. We doubt the Word of God, we doubt the Lord, we doubt His saving power, we, we doubt what the Bible tells us. It's interesting to me that it was this verse of Scripture that led John Bunyan to faith in Christ. John Bunyan was known as the most godless man in Bedford. People had prayed for him. And he read this story and John Bunyan said, Even the devil knows that if a man believes the Word, he will be saved. Sometimes it's doubt that causes our heart to become hardened, and we cannot receive the seed of the gospel because our hearts are hardened by doubt. Sometimes it's false doctrine. And there's a lot of false doctrine today that tells us, well, we're all going to the same place, we're just traveling different paths, but any seed will do. It really doesn't make any difference what you believe, what the seed is. Any seed will get you there. And false doctrine sometimes is the thing that causes our hearts to become hardened. So he says there's some seed that falls beside the road. And then he says some others fall in rocky places in verse number 5. He said, And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Again, if you are familiar with the land area, you know that the soil in Israel is very shallow. It does not go very deep. And then there's bedrock underneath that. A commentator wrote, The stony ground was not ground filled with stones. It was what was common in Palestine, a thin skin of earth on top of an underlying shelf of limestone rock. The earth might be only a few inches deep before the rock was reached. So that's what Jesus is saying in the story. And the people understood that because there is not much depth of soil. Now then to apply it in verse number 20. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now let's look at this person. The gospel seed is sown, and the Bible says this person hears the gospel and receives it with joy. Another commentator wrote, when the gospel reaches people like this, they receive it with joy as long as it is a warm, glorious day for the Word. They are enthusiastic. And you see that. You have been in revivals, perhaps, or in church camps, perhaps, and the gospel has been proclaimed, and the people listen to the gospel, and they receive the gospel because it's the thing to do. Everyone else says, everyone else is going forward, I'm going forward too. Everyone else is trusting Jesus, I'm trusting Jesus too. But then in time, 
some of them fall away. When the season turns cold and stormy and tribulation and persecution comes, immediately they are gone. They wither and die. Have you seen that? People who have professed faith in Christ, and for a while there was great joy, but in time they fell away. Let me tell you about a tract that was written by a professional basketball player. He wrote, I've made my choice. I love Jesus Christ, and I try to serve him to the best of my ability. How about you? Now, who wrote that? A number of names might come to your mind. Professional basketball player. Who wrote that? It was Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley went on to become a United States senator and a candidate for president of the United States. But later, he said he was put off by the exclusive claims of conservative Christianity and that he embraces all religions, quote, so long as they seek inner peace. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those people who hear the gospel, they receive it because it is, a, it is a day when people are enthusiastic. It is the right thing to do. Others are doing it. But in time, they fall away because there is no root. Thirdly, some falls among the thorns, verse number 7. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. He explains that in verse number 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, here's the person who hears the word of God, but the Bible says that the seed is choked by worries about the world. This is the person who hears the gospel and perhaps receives it immediately, but then it is choked out because of worries about the world. Maybe it's worries about my business. Maybe it's worries about my family. Maybe it's worries about pleasure and other things in life. But the result is that it chokes it out. And then he says, and also by the deceitfulness of riches. This person doesn't have time for the Lord because I've got to, I've got to make hay while the sun shines. Isn't it interesting that we have time to talk on the phone, but not time to pray? We have time to read the newspaper, but not time to read the Bible. We have time to go to a thousand events, but not time for worship. Why? Because it is choked out by the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters and one of the stories was about a man who had gone into the British Museum, and he was reading, and as he was reading, he began to think about God. Something triggered thoughts about God. When he did, screw tape immediately moved into action, and it began to cause the man to think instead about lunch. And so the man got up, closed his book, and started out for lunch. Screw tape said once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had gotten into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that all that sort of thing couldn't be true. The thorns choke it out. 
Fourth, there's good soil, verse number 8. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, I believe this is the only person saved in the story. I know that there are some who disagree with that, but that is my belief. As I have studied the parable, I believe that this is the only person who truly became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. He hears the story. He understands his own condition, the provision of Jesus. He accepts Jesus. And the Bible says then he produces fruit. Now, the fruit of the gospel, the fruit that is brought forth by the gospel seed, is fruit of character, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it is the fruit of evangelism, according to Matthew chapter 28. So let me conclude very quickly. There are four hearts represented here today. The seed is sown. The gospel is proclaimed, and Satan attempts to remove the seed. There are four types of soil. Sometimes the seed falls beside the road, and the heart is hardened by doubt or false doctrine. For some, it's uh, the rocky places. This person hears the gospel, and perhaps you've done that in your past. You've heard the gospel, received it with great joy, but you fell, you fell away because there was no root. There's some who, some seed sown among the thorns, but it is choked out by the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Ah, oh, but there's some good soil who hears the gospel, and their heart is receptive. And they receive Jesus and produce fruit. That is my prayer for you today, is that you are the good soil. And that you open your heart to the gospel. And allow Jesus to produce his fruit in your life. My gracious Father and God, I pray that you will help us to examine our hearts today. That we might examine the kind of soil that we are. If our hearts are hardened, if they're rocky, if the gospel seed has been choked out by worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, or perhaps today we're good soil. Lord, I pray for, for those who are good soil today that your seed will find place, and they will trust you. Lord, I pray that we might be obedient to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand for him of invitation. An opportunity for you to make a commitment to Christ if you're here without Jesus. But you're good soil today. And you're willing to allow the seed to find lodging in your heart. You come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings, you come as they do.